Thank you for joining me for Soulful Conversations with my community of fellow travelers, exploring the heart, the mind, and the globe. These conversations highlight what travel really means for the world. Soul of Travel honors the passion and dedication of the people making a positive impact in tourism. Each week, I'll be speaking to women who are tourism professionals, world travelers, and leaders in their communities. We'll explore how travel has changed them and how that has rippled out and inspired them to change the world. These conversations are as much about travel as they are about passion and living life with purpose, chasing dreams, building businesses, and having the desire to make the world a better place. This is a community of people who know travel is more than a vacation. It is an opportunity for personal awareness, and it is a vehicle for change. We are thought leaders, action takers, and heart-centered change makers. I'm Christine Weinbrenner-Eyrich, and this is The Soul of Travel. Alice Ford is an award-winning host, stuntwoman, and executive producer. Strong, confident, and adventurous, she is an entrepreneur, explorer, environmentalist, and athlete. An adrenaline junkie, she has hiked some of the world's tallest mountains, swam with sharks, jumped out of airplanes, rappelled down cliffsides, and traveled solo all over the world, documenting every moment for her award-winning series, Alice's Adventures on Earth. With a passion for travel and sustainability, she has spent more than a decade working as a host for shows such as Alice in Seven Wonderlands in the Canary Islands, Healthy Lifestyles on WWLTV, National Park Adventures on Amazon, The Alienist and Westworld After Show on AfterBuzz TV, and many more. In 2016, she launched her company, Travganic, which is dedicated to connecting people with eco-friendly travel options all over the world, specializing in green hotels, nature tours, and unique adventure packages that focus on conservation and sustainability. As an expert in the fields of adventure travel and sustainability, she has also found success as a travel writer, producer, and speaker. Alice loves to inspire others to see more of the world while teaching them about protecting and respecting the planet. Passionate visionary, she wants to tell the stories of unique people, cultures, and places that need a bigger voice. Her writings and world-class video production skills can be seen across many channels. Her YouTube channel has a large and ever-growing community of avid hikers and travelers, and her writing keeps thousands entertained on the alicesadventuresonearth.com website. In our conversation, we talk about how adventures in her childhood piqued her curiosity early on, what it has been like being a woman in the adventure space, how we find our way as multi-passionate people, and how we can create travel content that matters. Alice and I always feel we could chat for hours, but we tried to keep it to just the hour today and share as much as possible as we can with you. Join me now for my soulful conversation with Alice Ford. Welcome to Soul of Travel. I'm so excited to be um, doing this live episode with Alice Ford. Alice is an award-winning host, uh, stuntwoman, and executive producer, and you can find her on YouTube where she has over 20,000 subscribers and covers a wide range of topics, 
in her unique style and voice, which I love. And um, also has uh, created Travganic, which is dedicated to providing people with eco-friendly travel options. So it's a quick intro, Alice. Thanks for being here with me today. Thanks so much for having me. It's so great to be here. And yeah, thanks for everyone that's joining us today on a weekend as well. Really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you. Um, well, just to start, um, I would love for you to give us a little bit of a picture of who you are in travel right now um, and, and what you do in this space. Absolutely. So I am an adventure filmmaker and also own a sustainable travel platform. I share my adventures on YouTube as well as on my website, alicesadventuresonearth.com, which is kind of my blog and my more personal travel side of of my travels, I guess. And then my sustainable tourism company, Travganic, is all about sustainable travel. So on that website, you can find detailed itineraries, you can find resources for booking trips, for finding new destinations that are sustainable, that are eco-certified, and that are more based on community tourism. So two different worlds, but they obviously blend together really seamlessly. And I make videos about pretty much everywhere that I go. Um, I love hiking, trekking, really getting off the beaten path and showing people like a deeper side to travel, not city travel, not, you know, sometimes I do restaurants and things like that, but it's, it's more about like getting deep into a destination, finding the community, getting to know the locals and getting to those off the beaten path places that not everyone gets to. And I always have an educational component to all my videos and content as well, whether that be like ecology and science, um, history and culture. So those are kind of the things that I do. And you guys can check me out. Yeah. On YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, everywhere. You can find me at Alice's Adventures on Earth. Great. Thank you. Um, that was definitely what I was initially drawn to um, when I found you on the great world of travel content creators, um, because it's what really resonates with me. Um, I love hiking. I love spending time in nature and similarly, like really enjoy kind of discovering those really kind of more, like you said, off the beaten path or deeply connected places as I travel. That's what I'm really seeking out. And so I think when I started to see what you were creating, that's what really caught my eye. I was like, okay, this woman travels how I do. So I'm really curious. And then I also really love that there's always the elements of sustainability and education that you talked about as well. Um, I think that's so important. That's obviously why I do this podcast is so that people can have a better understanding of what else they can seek from their travel experiences and I think it's just really important to be able to use travel as a place for education, which I think we both really agree on that. To give the listeners a little bit more background on you, can you give us a sense of kind of like how you fell into the travel world or adventure? We're going to talk a little bit more about your adventurous spirit in a, in a bit, but kind of when did you get curious about exploring or how did travel find you? Absolutely. So my parents were super adventuresome. I would say my dad was a little bit more adventuresome than my mom, but I grew up in a family where we were always off on a mountain or hiking. I, I grew up in a really small town, but just 
completely immersed in nature. We had about 40 acres, which was super forested. So we had woods, we had pasture, we had a river, we had swamp, we had a kind of a little bit of everything. So in my own backyard, we could raft, we could hike, we could get lost in the woods, pick raspberries in the summertime, watch moose and bears. So from birth, really, I was just immersed in nature. And my dad was very, very um, involved in conservation. He was part of our town's conservation association and member of a ton of different environmental organizations. So I grew up hearing from him all the time about how important it was to protect forests and oceans and lakes and, and, and nature in general. So that was kind of my, my upbringing. And we, you know, our family, I guess, gatherings, as opposed to maybe going to an amusement park or the movies would be going on a hike or going out and going camping or going out and going on the boat and taking the canoes out and going to an island and spending the day there having a picnic. So very different than probably a lot of people's upbringings, but that's what made me fall in love with nature. And then, you know, as a, as a young teenager, I guess we actually had some land in Mexico. So we went there a lot and I would always like my favorite thing to do would be like to plan the whole vacation. Okay, we're going to go here. We're going to stay at this place on the way. We'll fly into blah, blah, blah. And I loved it so much just planning the experience for everything, for everybody and like figuring out, okay, this is where we can eat. So I really loved it as a kid. And I think obviously that passion was already there. And so as I got older, it just grew and grew. And in college, my dream, which is still my dream, <laughs> was to be the next Samantha Brown. You know, I loved talking to people about travel. I loved being on camera. And my goal was to hopefully one day I can have my own travel show. So about 10 years ago, I was actually working on a movie in China and I had the opportunity to travel afterwards. And so I went from China through Cambodia and Borneo and Bali and Australia and shot my first travel pilot. And that's kind of what started this whole filmmaking journey um, many years ago. Yeah, that's amazing. Um, yeah, I, I feel like there's so many people and I think it's really amazing that we're like, this is my goal is to be the next Samantha Brown. I'm just curious of how many people I've talked to. <laughs> like that's what our mission in life was. And the thing that also I think is really um, I guess important maybe to mention about that is that for many of us, she was the only woman that we saw doing what she was doing. So that is why so many of us wanted to be her. And um, I, I think even still in this space of adventure travel and just travel media, it's still a space that women are underrepresented. And, and this is also a huge part of why I wanted to have these conversations is because uh, in, you know, the world I live in, I see women doing these things all of the time. And I'm like, okay, it's not that we're not out here. Um, obviously, I have had amazing conversations with so many people at this point. But um, I really wanted to create a space for more people to see who is working in this way, who else is creating really valuable content, who's creating amazing trips, who's doing great conservation work, like there's such a broader segment of women in this field that is just not seen by mainstream in mainstream media. So 
Um, thanks for sharing that. Cause I think that that is really, um, important. And, um, I imagine for her must be pretty cool to be able to hear. I don't know if she ever like has a sense of that. I'm sure she must, but, um, yeah, I think that's really amazing. Um, so then you talked about getting into, uh, television, starting to record a pilot, trying to kind of get into that space. And I know part of also how I initially found you, I had seen an article written about you and it was like adventure traveler and stunt woman. I was like, what? This is definitely catching my eye. <laughs> I'm like, that sounds like a story I haven't heard before. Mm-hmm. So how did that come into your life? And what 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 has that looked like? Yeah, absolutely. So I guess I'll start by saying I've lived in a lot of states. I've worked a lot of jobs. After college, I went into sales, and then I went into hotels and was in restaurants that whole time. And But I guess the thing that I always wanted to do was be on TV. But I didn't live in California at the time. I didn't live anywhere near Los Angeles. I didn't live anywhere where there was really um, a market for being a TV host. So it was always in the back of my mind, but never something that I was able to really pursue in the way that I wanted to. I would get hosting jobs here and there for like infomercials and and commercials and things like that. But But it wasn't what I wanted. So... Eventually, in all the places that I moved in different jobs that I had, I found myself in New Orleans, Louisiana, and there's a big film industry there. So I started working as an extra. I got a hosting job with a local uh, hospital and actually did all these kind of like little healthcare segments about, um, you know, how much water you should drink and, and things like that and and started working in movies and TV. And Then I basically met some people that were in stunts. Um, At the time I was pole vaulting. I was trying to actually qualify for the Olympic trials and pole vaulting, um, (laughs) which is another story. I was like, wow, that's a whole nother story. (laughs) (laughs) But I met some um, gentlemen that were working on GI Joe. And they said, I, I told them about myself and that my background was in gymnastics and track and field. And they said, Oh my gosh, you'd make a great stunt woman. And I was like, well, what is that? <laughs> you know, what does that entail? And they were like, well, you get to perform, you get to do flips and, and all this stuff. And I said, well, that's right up my alley. You know, that sounds like a lot of fun. How do you get into that? And so long story short, I basically ended up sending in a tape to a TV show that was filming in Los Angeles called make it or break it which was all about gymnastics. Um, I got called back for the show, came out to LA, worked with them for their last season of filming. And that was my first job as a stunt woman. So I got to play a gymnast and then double one of the actresses doing her flips and uh, floor routines and things like that. And then that was maybe 12 years ago now. So quite a while ago, but that's kind of what got me into stunts. And it was such a good opportunity to be able to travel, to be in entertainment. It brought me out to Los Angeles, obviously. Um, but in the back of my mind, I was like, well, this is great. It's definitely feeding one of the <laughs> like hungry mouths inside me. I don't know that's about an analogy. <laughs> you know, like I'm so multi-passionate and I have been an athlete my entire life. So giving that up was really difficult in college. So this was a caveat to be able to still have that need that I felt like I needed to be able to perform and and be an athlete still. But 
On the other hand, I wanted to be a host. I wanted to have my own travel show. So I was constantly like, well, how do I make this happen? And I ended up uh, being uh, the main double for uh, an actress on Transformers 4, which was a Michael Bay movie back in 2013, and met my boyfriend that I'm still with today. And uh, he was like, well, if you want to be a travel host and you want to have a travel show, you should go and shoot a travel show. And you'll figure out like how to do it and, you know, whatever. So I was like, okay. And so with just that little bit of encouragement, you know, he helped me kind of like shoot this first pilot, which looking back now, my gosh, the things I've learned, (laughs) but such an amazing experience, but that's really what got me started. Um, Not only in stunts, but in kind of creating this whole other chapter of my life in the passion that I've always had in travel um, to be able to showcase that to, to all the people in the world. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Thank you for sharing that. I mean, I think it's so great. One of the things that really resonated for me is this idea of if you're really an athlete um, in high school and college, and then all of a sudden when you're done with college, that urge to like keep being engaged in something like that, and there's not really anything to do with it that I resonate with that because I, I was the same. Like I, I really loved sports and activities and I did basketball and track and I like you, you're done. Like you're like, Oh, well, I guess I just put that part of me aside now because it doesn't really exist in the real world after you leave school. And um, so I love that you were able to kind of fulfill that through this. And then like this journey of, you know, when you have something you really are, have a deep conviction for, but you don't know how to get there. I think sometimes people just stop trying. Like there's like, well, I'll try this way. That didn't work. I'll try this way. That didn't work. Maybe someone will still try another way. Um, But you know, it's really hard to keep looking at new ways to get there. So I love that your boyfriend was like, well, you could just do it. And you're like, Oh, well, that seems really obvious. And I've had those moments so many times. I remember, um, I was working with um, someone that called themselves a, like a a sole profession coach or something like that. She's like, well, I'll just walk you through and I'll ask you about all these things you've been interested in and see the commonality and just kind of like see what comes up for me as an idea of what your dream career would be. And so we had a conversation and at the end she was like, well, have you ever thought about starting kind of an outdoor nature adventure travel company for women? I was like, oh my gosh, that feels like the most obvious answer of anything that anybody has ever said to me. But in that moment, I just hadn't really like pulled all these things that I loved together and tried to see what they would look like. And then it's, you know, then you have that and you're like, okay, now how do I make that work? And like, I had been in the travel industry in different facets for many years, but kind of much like you, it's like, okay, well, I I have these skills and I have these skills and I have this connection, but they don't feel like all of the pieces of the puzzle. And so then you're still kind of wondering what's that step forward. And I think similarly, it was just like, well, just try it. I mean, the only thing that's going to happen is it's not going to work, but at least you're, you're actually on the trajectory of the thing that you really, really want instead of kind of like edging around it the whole time. Um, So I love that. That's kind of how that started for you. So then you created um, this first series. So how did that end up kind of evolving 
into the space of creating travel content that you're in now? Yeah, so I guess it's evolved a lot over time. You know, back when I shot this first pilot, which was basically, uh, back then it was a show, it was called World Heritage Adventures, and it was basically based on going to different UNESCO sites, showcasing them, and also the cities or the towns where they're located, talking about the history and the culture, because these are all things that, for me, when I travel, I, re- you know, look for or like to travel to. So this was basically shot as a TV pilot. We then pitched it to some different production companies, tried to kind of get my foot in the door and see if we could sell it to a network. The feedback that I got pretty much everywhere was, well, you're not a man, you don't have a mustache or a beard, um, and you don't have enough TV experience like as a reporter or you're not already famous. Um, so it was like, okay, um, all right, well, I kept trying back to the drawing board a little bit, shot a couple of other things, but I didn't know much about YouTube at the time. I didn't really know about the algorithm. I hadn't spent a lot of time really thinking about, I guess, being a consistent and serious person on YouTube in those first couple of years. Um, And then as I realized that pitching to TV production companies is a really tire tiring and usually um, unsuccessful way to go. The the better way, if I want people to see my content and I want to actually help people discover new places, is to just have my own show on YouTube. So then I started actually doing the research, looking into okay, what do I need to do to make YouTube work? What do I need to do to make it so that my content is available to people? And that meant starting a blog. And that meant, okay, I have to come up with some concepts and and be consistent on YouTube and and have an actual plan of things. So that's when I started getting a little bit more serious and committed to YouTube and my blog. And, And then obviously when Instagram came out and and got a little bit more serious on that as well, instead of just, you know, photos of, of my cat or something. <laughs> but yeah, so it definitely evolved. And I, I wish looking back, I guess, that I had been more of an early adopter of the social platforms and, and of YouTube and also maybe been a bit more knowledgeable and serious about it back then. But I guess, long story short, I, I just decided at one point, if I'm going to be serious about this, I have to put the time and effort into being consistent on this platform so that people get to know me and they get to know me as a, as an expert and, you know, solo female travel and hiking and backpacking. Um, they want to come watch, you know, my entertaining videos. Right. Right. Um, and especially if that, you know, if you're looking at those initial conversations with pitching and the, one of the things is, is, you know, well, we need to know that you're an expert, then this is one of those ways to establish that because, you know, obviously you're never going to have a beard or you can, but that's probably not going to make you any more attractive to a wide audience, <laughs> um, which is really frustrating. And I can't even really find the words for that. But um yeah, I I also when you were talking about World Heritage sites, I remember when I was doing a travel program um probably like 20 years ago and they started talking a little bit about that and then I worked for another company where they were highlighting some um UNESCO sites and I I actually had the idea I was like, "Oh my gosh, it would be so cool to just travel, bring travelers just to these sites because there's so much to learn built into them already and then they're all happen to be kind of near these amazing communities. 
Um, so I, I love that that is where you started. Um, I think this is a great kind of segue into talking about staying true to your voice. I think, um, especially if you look at the broader world of content creation and you look at social media, um, there's kind of obviously the things that seem like they're reproduced over and over. Um, there's all these programs that are like, here's the five things to do to be successful on Instagram, on YouTube, on every platform, basically. How, when you were starting to look at who you wanted to be in this space, did you find your voice and how did you stay connected to your why so that you weren't one of the people that just kind of got lost in this void? Because there's, it's grown so much since you started as well. Like, how do you really stay where you on your path? I think for me, because I started out doing things the wrong way, I guess for, and when I say the wrong way, I say when someone is coming to the internet, let's say, and is like, I want to be a YouTube star. They might Google like, how do you be a YouTube star? And they're going to look up all the, you know, now it's the, the information is so widespread of like, these are the things that you need. It, it, you know, it's like a plan of like, yeah, you should do this and do that and do that. And, and I didn't do any of that. <laughs> when I started. And so I think that, that now 10 years later, while I do some of those, the stuff that I make is more based on what I like, what I feel like is important rather than what I think the algorithm is going to like. I've got plenty of videos that if I were somebody else would maybe have a couple million views, but maybe they only have a couple thousand, but to me, it was an important topic. You know, my first show on YouTube was actually called Green and Fabulous, which was ages ago now, but they were like kind of kitschy videos on sustainability tips around your home (laughs) that I was kind of like making fun of myself. And that was just a passion project. And also my other channel, which is called Nature News, is a passion project. I only have 100 subscribers on that second channel. But to me, it's really important to be sharing stories of conservation and stories of, you know, environmental problems that don't get a lot of airtime on national TV. So like those things are important to me. But when you think about algorithms and what you're supposed to do on social media, everyone would probably tell me, don't do that and don't do that. (laughs) But to me, it's just more important to stay true to who I am and to, to what I think is important to what I think is important. Maybe people should learn and pay attention to. Actually, I have a video coming out tomorrow on uh, Sequoia and Kings Canyon National Park. And halfway through the video, I stop and just talk to the camera about some of the issues that I saw in the park, like people taking relics out of the park, people smoking cigarettes next to sequoia trees, people going down closed trails when there's signage. And a lot of people probably wouldn't put that in their videos because people will stop watching. But for me, it's like, if I would stop you in the park and say, hey, don't do that, then it's important for me to say it in my video too. So for me, I I guess I'm just like, screw the rules, screw the algorithms. I'm going to say and do what I think is important. And that's just the way it is. And hopefully people will watch it. Hi, it's Christine. 
Interrupting this episode for just a quick minute to invite you to join me for my Get Wild in Glacier Women's Wilderness Retreat. I'm so excited to share because last year when I partnered with my friend Becky Rupp from Trailblazer Wellness, we brought women to the top of a 14er in Colorado and knew we had to do it again. This year, we're headed to Glacier Park in Montana. I grew up in Northwest Montana and cannot wait to share this treasured corner of the world with you. You'll get to get wild and reconnect with your inner child as you hike, bike, ride horseback, and whitewater raft. Not only that, Becky and I spend three months with you preparing for this adventure and creating community you'll be excited to meet in person and share this adventure with. During these three months, you'll get one-on-one coaching with Becky to prepare for the adventure, as well as mindset and yoga sessions led by me, and education from other inspiring women about nutrition on the trail and packing for adventure, as well as learning from local educators about nature and wildlife and indigenous communities. This is a unique experience that adds so much depth to your journey. Registration for this Women's Wilderness Retreat closes on May 20th, and our virtual coaching begins on June 6th. Visit the Lotus Sojourns website for more information. I cannot wait to share my home with you. Now, let's hop back over to our soulful conversation. No, I I think that's so great because, one, I think it's really important for people one of my my passions is that people know their truth and they speak it. And it's really hard because in so many facets, people are silenced, you know, because if it's not the thing everybody wants to hear, it's not how you're supposed to show up as whomever you are in some dictated sector of society. Like there's all these methods for silencing. And I think it's the most important thing that we speak our truth. So I love that you have that conviction. I also think there's people that are looking for it. So maybe there's not 100 million people looking for it, but there's, you know, thousands of people looking for it. And if they need to hear from you, then you're there for them. And I I have had this conversation with a lot of entrepreneurs that, that have similar, they're like, you know, I think if I did this thing, I might have more of an audience. I might have more travelers. I might have more sales, but it's inauthentic. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I, there just feels something to me that about that, that it's really always made me uncomfortable. Like I just, I don't really understand, you know, this kind of commercialization or selling out or however you want to call it. I feel like it's really, really important that we all have this message for a reason. And I think it's because people are meant to receive it and it's okay. Like there's definitely, especially in today's day and age, this idea that if you aren't here, you know, like reaching the most people, then you're not successful. But I feel like we really need to redefine what success is. It's like, if I have 10 listeners that are listening every week and they are super inspired and that in like, it's them talking to 10 more people who are then super inspired that change how they're showing up in nature, in their careers, in their lives. Like that is a huge success for me. Like I can't even imagine that would make me really proud, but that's not like this measure that is used across the board. 
So I don't know if you have, I mean, I think you've probably had those conversations with yourself if you're looking at, you know, the way you have showed up. I don't, I just would really encourage anybody who's listening to just kind of, you know, if you are listening because you are really excited about content creation and being, you know, a travel professional in media or like you also want to be the next Samantha Brown. <laughs> like <laughs> we, I feel like we all have to do it in our own way. And it's really hard sometimes because we, we don't have another way to measure our success. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's also, it's, it's also really difficult, I think, especially now with so much social media to not it's it's hard to be yourself because you're inundated by so much content that it's hard not to copy other people or be like, oh, that worked there. So I'm going to do the same thing. Mm-hmm. And then you try that and it doesn't work for you. And then you're like, well, it worked for them. And then and then you're in this like imposter situation, imposter syndrome or like jealousy. Um, and it's never good. So it's always better to just be yourself. And I think for me, I... I majored in business in college for like a one year. I had like nine majors, but <laughs> I took ethics. And one of the things that I always ask myself, especially, you know, and this is for anyone that is listening, that's wanting to get brand deals or, or maybe they want to become an influencer or something like that. I think it's so important that you ask yourself if, and when you start getting companies that want to work with you, and this can be for anything, not just social media, that does that brand or that company share your values? Because if they don't, then I think to me, it's a completely unethical collaboration. I have a lot of companies that reach out to me that want to work with me. And a, a lot of times I I don't like how their products are made or I don't like their brand messaging or, or maybe it's just a, a product that I don't use. So to me, it's inauthentic and like, well, I wouldn't, I wouldn't use that or, and I'm in a lot of these Facebook groups where there's other collaborators in there, other women trying to uh, do the same thing. And they have seen questions about things like, like that, oh, well, CBD brand reach out to me. I don't actually use CBD, but uh, so what should I do for this collaboration? And it's like, well, you shouldn't have taken it. if you don't use the product. So those are things that I always think about when I'm collaborating with brands or, or thinking about those stuff is, is it ethical to me? And does it share the same values as me? Um, I love that you brought that up. I had thought about that a lot as I started to think about um, pursuing sponsors for this podcast, even that I was like, okay, I really, I, have created my travel brand based on my values. I've created this podcast based on my values. Like it's very important to me. And so, you know, people like, how about this sponsor? And I was like, "Mm, no, I don't think that would, it just wouldn't work. Like I would like this to be an extension of how I show up in the world. So I'm like, I would love women owned brands, small brands that maybe don't get a space in a, you know, in a major market or on a major podcast who couldn't afford to sponsor or be a part of another show. Like, I feel like this is my opportunity to create a space for that. Like I'm not going after this huge sponsorship. That's not necessarily aligned with who I am. Maybe there's a perfect brand out there where that would work, but I really want to give a window of opportunity to somebody else. And so I think, like you said, like, it, it starts to feel kind of questionable. And I've had this conversation about trip designs, like, 
well, why when you go to Peru, don't you go here? Or when you go to, you know, XYZ, don't you do this? I'm like, well, because, you know, with my sustainable travel practices, I really want to be conscious of over tourism and I want my, the economic benefit of travel dollars to do this. And so kind of much like you, it's this opportunity for education and it's also the opportunity to show what my values are and continue to keep those moving forward. And like, like you mentioned, I think it can be really hard, especially when you're first starting out, that if someone reaches out and they're like, yes, we would love to partner with you. You're like, oh my gosh, I've been waiting for this moment forever. And if they're not in alignment, it's going to be really hard to want to say no, because you've been working toward it. Um, so I think that's a really great thing to bring up and to to know where you'll stand ahead of time, maybe, because then you you already know what your answer is and you're not going to question yourself. And um, like, maybe you're like, I don't really care. I just need that first one. And then after that, I'll set my boundaries or, you know, I don't know. Like, I think it's just really important to kind of have those conversations internally. Absolutely. Yeah. When I uh, was talking about eco travel, sustainable travel, um, I just thought that would be a great time to bring that into this conversation. So I know that you have a background in environmental management. Um, and so that is definitely something you are passionate about. Like you mentioned, you bring that already into your YouTube content, but can we talk about Travganic and how that started and, and, and what that looks like for you? Yeah. So I started Travganic, gosh, I guess back in 2015 is when I started researching and kind of compiling information for that. And it was born really out of this lack in the market, really. I love to travel, but when I travel, I want to find the community that nobody visits. I want to stay in an eco lodge and I want the place that I'm staying to have solar panels and filter the water and, and do all these things. And I couldn't find any of that information on any of the big booking platforms. Obviously now, many years forward, a lot of that is starting to change. But back when I started Trubganic, Nobody was doing that. And you would have to search and search and search countless websites for hours at a time trying to find one hotel or or one community tourism project. Uh, and it was really kind of a pain. And so that's that issue is what led me to start Trapganic. And I did a ton of research. I created partnerships with a ton of different green certification companies. And I did that because there's so much greenwashing, I think, in the industry. Um, I think it's maybe getting better or maybe it's getting worse. <laughs> but uh, there's some reputable companies around the world that certify hotels, uh, Airbnbs, uh, tour companies on kind of all the different aspects of their business practices. We do it at Trapganic as well. But basically, they look at like, how they, what they do with their water, where they get their water from, do they treat it? What do they do with the wastewater? They look at what they do with all their waste as far as trash, old mattresses, you know, any sort of waste that they would have, even from their offices. Also, like their air quality control, if it's a hotel, um, the types of linens that they use, the types of cleaning products that they use, how they manage their staff, and even how they treat their guests as far as, you know, what information they share with them as far as sustainability things go and even the building materials that these, so there's all these different things that these certification companies look at. 
to make sure that these hotels or tour companies are doing what they can or should um, in order to get these different levels of certification. So those are the types of companies we've partnered with at Trevganic for hotels and tour companies. And then we look extensively into places to find these kind of like smaller niche community tourism products projects where you could, let's say, like go stay with a Maasai family in Tanzania or reindeer herding in Norway with an indigenous family. I just came back from Ecuador where I actually stayed with uh, an indigenous tribe in the Amazon at the only eco lodge that's actually owned and managed by an indigenous tribe in all of the Amazon. Um, so it's projects like that, that we love um, and that we look for. We don't want to have the same run of the mill tours and properties that everyone else does. We want the, the unique, like once in a lifetime, you're never going to have this experience <laughs> anywhere else uh, types of things that are really focusing on protecting the planet while also teaching you about culture and history. And, you know, in the Amazon, it was amazing to, to go explore the jungle with uh, a member of this tribe who had the knowledge passed down from his father and his grandfather of the medicinal plants and the animals. And those are the experiences I, I feel like are completely priceless. And that's what we do at Trapanic. <laughs> Yeah, I love that. As you're just describing that, it's basically like my dream travel experience. So <laughs> I'm going to be definitely looking at that. I mean, and it, it's really hard to find. And like you said, um, as as a consumer to try and, and do all of that vetting and figure it out and like know what what is greenwashing, what is legitimate, how do I figure it out? I think people become very overwhelmed with that process. And um, like you said, it's a little easier now, but there's also more people who are like aware that these are the marketing terms that are catching people's eyes. And so while like, it's like better and worse at the same time, I think. And, um, and then even when you're really looking at community-based tourism, so it's so great to do that experience, but then you also want to make sure that that's being community-led, right? That there's not really want to make sure that's their decision to be inviting travelers in and how they're showing up and engaging with the travelers. And, and these are all questions that, um, again, like I think th that your average traveler isn't really understanding to think about yet. And so like, while I really want to encourage this type of travel, I know that you do too, like just really the education part is the most important part. And if that's happening all through the selection process um, and then during the experience, then I think people really come away with having learned so much through the process that then they can take forward into their next um, their next travels. And I really loved what you were talking about, not just because I think people know, okay, well, I'll look for an eco-friendly lodge. I might actually know to look to see if it's locally owned. Um, I know that I want to use no single-use plastics, and so I bring my water bottle, but I love that you talked about like the linens and the cleaning products and what do they do with mattresses or other products like that? Because again, I think that's something that's so far removed from our immediate experience that we're maybe not questioning that. And I think it's really amazing to know that those pieces are being considered through processes like this. Yeah, absolutely. And I think the challenge, I think for a lot of tour companies and a lot of hotels and 
in developed nations, it's it's easy. There's all the resources, the the processes for waste management, recycling, and yada 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 are, are built into the economy. But in in places which are very far removed from you know America, Canada, you know, in Europe, these things are very challenging. So tour companies and hotels that are you know, silver, gold, even, you know, if they're sustainably certified, they're doing a lot of work, not only in building the type of facility that they have, but usually within the community by providing services that probably didn't exist before. Um, I think there's a lot of places in Africa that have done a fantastic job by becoming these kind of like completely self-sufficient hotels I stayed at a place in the Serengeti called the Malia a couple of years ago. They had their own waste to energy conversion plant at the hotel where they actually took all of the trash and they put it in this waste to energy converter and it basically incinerates it and turns it into energy that then the hotel uses. They use that in conjunction with solar power to power the entire place because it's 200 miles from any sort of electricity. Um, so those are the types of places that blow my mind. Um, and it is also kind of mind blowing that we don't have a lot of places like this in the United States, you know, as far as sustainable travel goes, America is, is kind of getting a D minus <laughs> in my yeah. book. We don't well, do a very good job. Yeah. And yeah. what I, I was just thinking as you were talking about that is two things. So you're looking at like this property you mentioned in Africa. And so they're doing these amazing things. And I agree, like the innovation you see that comes out of these communities, it's, it's, it's astonishing. It's so cool when you get to understand how some of these projects evolve. And they might not technically be certified as sustainable because what people might not also understand is this process is elaborate many times. Um, sometimes just the access to the internet to submit documents isn't something that they have. Um, I've run into this in the uh, world of fair trade um, certification that I have worked in in the past. And so then you see, you'll find people that are saying they're operating under the principles. And so then again, this is where it might get confusing for people. Like they're maybe much more qualified, but not certified. And, and then the other part you were talking about, um, I'm thinking about this in the context of being a B Corp, like, you have to know there has to be a lot of transparency in all of the providers that you use. So like, where is your food coming from and then who are they getting it from and how are they growing it? Or, you know, it it gets lost when you're like, this is in this village. That's a two hour walk from this village. And this is where this worker is creating this part of this product. Um, And again, it, it, it can be kind of hard to understand if you haven't traveled to these places to even to know what that feels like and looks like. But then when you're looking at applying, for instance, for me as an operator in rural Peru, how am I going to find all the documentation for the things that are like one or two steps out from this immediate person I work from? Um, So I think that's really interesting for people to be aware of people who are in the industry that are looking at maybe finding a certification like this for themselves or finding brand partners, just to be conscious of what may or may not allow people to have certification. 
Absolutely. And I think also, you know, the transportation is an issue in a lot of places. You can't, you know, there's not electric cars in Africa or even in Central and South America. They don't really exist. You know, you'd be hard pressed to even find a new vehicle in a lot of places. So transportation is a huge aspect in getting a green certification for tour companies. Um, but in a lot of these developed nations, I even work with a company in Nepal and we had long conversations about the fact that, you know, the forerunners or the buses that they use are from the 1980s or the 1990s. Um, they're probably not very great for the environment, but they're the best option that even exists in that country. So there's a lot of challenges for people, but I think there's also just so much positivity right now in the travel industry. And I think that there is so many people working hard to go in the correct direction. There's so much more information out there and so many people wanting to become more sustainable. I think that that's a really positive note on the sustainable travel movement as well, which gives me hope for more companies, I guess, kind of turning over a green new leaf. <laughs> yeah, I love that. And I think also creating space for this innovation and people really looking at different avenues and, and really creating partnerships and local partnerships that are going to create, I think, things we, we, you know, that we don't even know of yet that are just kind of starting to be coming out of the necessity of the time that we're in. And also kind of out of this time of, as we come back to tourism, people really looking how they can fully support communities. I think that's going to go hand in hand with this kind of sustainable innovation and the way that we're going to find to move forward to create the most impact in travel. Yeah, absolutely. And I guess I just want to add one note to that too on just community-based tourism because as you were saying earlier, there's a lot of places marketed as maybe community-based tourism that's actually maybe owned by someone in America or someone in Canada or someone in Europe and not owned by anyone in the local community. Um, so I think it's really important. And this is what we try to do at Tropganic too, is to eliminate that legwork. But I think, you know, if you're doing it on your own, it's really important to to look and see who is the owners of these places and who who do they support? How do they support the local community? If it's not locally owned, you know, do they only hire the local people or are they flying people in from Europe to be their staff? So these are things that I like to look for as well. And, you know, going back to Ecuador, there's a couple other Amazonian lodges that are in the Amazon where you get similar experiences, but the guides there are from either mainland, you know, the cities of Ecuador, or they're from other countries, or they're maybe American or Australian. So you're not getting that local community experience of even people that are familiar with the land or the country that you're in. Yeah, thank you for bringing that up because I, I think those are all, and again, those are like, those are really, um, I mean, they're, they're kind of simple things. Like once you know the questions to ask, there are simple ways that you can make sure that the most impact is possible. And, you know, it doesn't mean that, you know, if uh, some place is owned by someone from outside that country, that they're not also then putting all these other systems in place to ensure that money is staying in the economy. But it is um, just just about like getting curious and you're going to learn a lot through the process. And so not letting it be this like, well, I don't know, I'm not going to ask, let it be like, I'm just going to find out. And, you know, I have this information and 
um, I can use it in the future and just, and it might also spark something with the, with the property or restaurant or operator too, that you are asking the questions of, because if this market demand isn't there, they're not showing up to meet it. And I have found that too, just by asking like, okay, um, I want to know like five locally owned properties in these areas. I want to know like, what are their sustainability practices? Are they using local foods? Where is it coming from? And if they've never had anyone asking those questions before, they haven't thought about it, but now this will create a system for them. The next time someone asks, they're like, okay, I have this information. You know, this is actually since, you know, we first started looking into this. Now we switched and we're using, you know, this locally made soap and shampoo and, or, you know, things like that just start happening because we are asking those questions. Yeah. I think it's so important to be curious when we travel. Yeah. And not, not be afraid to ask questions. I, <laughs> I ask a lot of questions when I travel <laughs> and that's how you learn. So I think it's really good to to be that way when you travel. Yeah. And I think some, there's some weird part, I think of conditioning that like the, the proper way is to just like, I don't know, be separate or not ask those questions like that's invasive or something. But as soon as you start engaging, you know, with a driver or your hotel clerk or concierge or whatever, like that's really, like you said, this is kind of where the magic and the connection happens. And once we break down whatever this assumed like barrier is like that's really where we're going to find that we're connecting to the place that we are in and the people that we're that we're meeting well as we wrap up our conversation alice um i know you mentioned your um personal website um can they also find travganic from there or um what is the website if they're curious about that yeah if you want to go to travganic it's just uh it's travel and organic, had a baby. So it's T-R-A-V-G-A-N-I-C.com, travganic.com. And then my other website is Alice's Adventures on Earth.com. I know it's long. <laughs> and there's links to uh, my YouTube, my Twitter, and my Facebook all on there as well. And uh, yeah, I would love if, if anyone watches this or listens to it and wants to connect with me over there, just shoot a little comment or a message and and let let me know that you found me from uh this podcast that'd be great that'd be that would be great to hear um i also really wanted to quickly um give a shout out i know you just announced that you're going to be speaking at the women in travel summit in kansas city in may so uh anybody listening that is a great opportunity for um women and content creators and travelers to um get together and learn more about a lot of what we've talked about today um to get to hear alice in person which I'm really excited that we'll actually get to meet there. Um, And so for people, you can just, you can look that up um, in connection with uh, wonderful community women in travel summit. Um, The last thing is I have seven um, rapid fire or I call them rapid fire ish questions to, to end our call. So um, the first is what is your favorite book or movie that offers you a travel escape or inspires you to adventure? Oh, I'm going to have to look at my dark lands is the first one that comes to mind. It's like places you would never travel to told by a a journalist. It's really interesting. Okay. Uh, What is always in your suitcase or backpack when you travel? A lot of things. (laughs) My camera. (laughs) 
I just, as soon as I asked that, I was like, gosh, we didn't even get into photography and camera gear and all these cool things that you also are a brilliant expert in, I guess, maybe another time. Well, if you come to WITS, you can hear all about it because I'm giving a 90 minute workshop on how to take your travel videos to the next level. So excellent. Um, And what has been your favorite destination? Portugal. And where do you still long to visit? So many places. <laughs> uh, Patagonia. Uh, what do you eat that immediately connects you to a place that you've been? Uh, probably like fresh exotic fruits. I think that's one of the coolest things when you travel and people bring out just a plate of fruit. I think this is something I had no awareness of prior to traveling is like how how few fruits that we have access to in the United States. And then you travel and you're just seeing all of these amazing things that are local and also that taste completely different if we do have it in the United States, because it's being eaten where it is actually from. Um, Who was the person that inspired or encouraged you to set out and explore the world? My dad. And if you could take an adventure with one person, fictional or real alive or past, who would it be? Anthony Bourdain. <laughs> I, I was like, I feel like she might say Anthony Bourdain. <laughs> um, yeah, I feel like he's up in there in our like at least top five, if not top two <laughs> dream yeah. travel companions. Um, well, Alice, thank you so much. Uh, this was really fun. I'm glad that we finally got to do this. Um, again, I really, if people are listening, encourage you to check out her YouTube. I, I really just love the content that you create. I especially being a Montana girl and now Colorado, uh, the hiking and everything. It just, it's really, it's just a different look at travel. And I really encourage people to take a look. Thank you so much. It's been so fun chatting with you. And thank you, everyone that's listening or watching on Facebook, too. Thank you. Thank you for listening to The Soul of Travel. I hope you enjoyed the journey. If you love this conversation, I encourage you to subscribe, rate the podcast, and share the episodes that inspire you with others. I am so proud of the way these conversations are bringing together people from around the world. If this sounds like your community, welcome. I am so happy you are here. You can find all the ways you can be a part of the Soul of Travel and Lotus Sojourns community at www.lotussojourns.com. Here you can learn more about Soul of Travel and my guests. You can see details about the transformational sojourns I guide for women, as well as my book Sojourn, which offers an opportunity to explore your heart, mind, and the world through the pages of books specially selected to create a unique journey. I am all about community and would love to connect. You can find me on Facebook at Lotus Sojourns, and join our community, the Lotus Sojourns Collective. Or follow me on Instagram, either at Lotus Sojourns or at Soul of Travel Podcast. Stay up to date by joining the Lotus Sojourns mailing list. I look forward to getting to know you and hopefully hear your story. Your story.